So yes, we're going to read Romans um, chapter 5, starting at verse 12 through to verse 21. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Am I on the right one? Oh no, hang on, six, there we go, the right one. Start again, verse f- chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, So by the one's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of God. Amen. Great help to me if you could have uh, a Bible open before you and uh, turn back to page five, uh, 942 if you've closed it or get it up on your uh, Bible app. And uh, there should be a slide coming up um, in a second and it's just got the main title or subject of what we're looking at this morning. And what I want you to do is just turn to your neighbor or think, think yourself, when you hear original sin, how does it make you feel? You hear original sin. What do you feel about that? And I just want, uh, after you've had a chat with your neighbor, I'll give you a couple of minutes, just a one-word one answer, okay? So off you go, two minutes. What do you feel about original sin? Two minutes, and then uh, shout out what you feel. Yeah.
Okay, not quite two minutes, but you've had enough time to come up with a single word. Does anyone want to shout out the, the sort of feeling or the attitude to this teaching, original sin? What, what do we think? Anybody shout out an answer? Wah, wah. Negative. Yeah, anything else? Not very positive. Go on. Confused. I want to suggest this morning that the doctrine of original sin is a freeing doctrine. It sets us free. But it's so different to what our culture is telling us that we, th we think original sin is really negative and bad. So let's just pray that God, the Holy Spirit, would really help me, that he would come and help all of us to see what Paul is teaching to the Roman church and therefore to all churches throughout all time if they're going to be united and effective gospel communities. Let's just, let's just pray. Let's, let's come to God in prayer now. Father, we thank you and praise you so much that you sent your Son into the world as we've been singing to do what we cannot do for ourselves. What is impossible for us is possible for him. And because he has done it, we can be freed. We can be set free. Lord, please help me in my weakness and sin. Please so help me, Holy Spirit, by your power that I may speak from the words that you have inspired and that we might each in our hearts see Jesus perhaps for the first time or see him more clearly for his glory. Amen. Well, I want to just do some sort of groundwork before we look at the passage, but keep it open, because we live in a culture where we are encouraged to believe that we are born good, that our innermost feelings are good, that our problems in life are most likely to be caused by bad parenting or the structures of our society. We're encouraged to believe that we are oppressed by traditional beliefs or corrupt capitalist structures around us that block the full expression of our inner freedom. And this leads to a whole host of mantras in our culture. We're looking at a series uh, beginning last week on Christian identity. In order to understand our Christian identity, which is far deeper and richer than any identity we're encouraged to adopt by our culture, we need to understand what Paul is teaching here. And we need to understand what our culture is saying to us, which makes us disbelieve this. And if we're not a Christian, looking in, we need to understand the sort of the water that we swim in, the air that we breathe philosophically. See, our culture has a whole host of mantras. Baby knows best. Even if that means you get no sleep and your marriage is broken, you be you. Whatever is authentic deep down that springs from inside, be that, because it's good. The media proclaim the scientific truth. This is The Guardian, 2015, George Monbiot. A new study shows that humans are inherently good, or born free, like the song sung in the most recent Michael McIntyre show at the end. It was lovely, but that, that's what was being promoted. Now, we, we hear that day in, day out, but few will be aware that it's largely because of a philosopher called Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Some of you may have come across him, 1712 to 1778. Perhaps his most famous quote is, man is born free and everywhere 
is in chains. We're born good, not sinful. We're born free, not slaves. And he believed that all evil comes from the structures of society. So to change people, you've got to change society. You've got to pursue revolution. You have to free children from the oppression of parents and religion. Is he really believable, though? He's the father of modern educational theory, those of you who are studying education. Well, let's just think how he treated his own children. He had five, four of whom he never bothered to name. He had all of them dropped off at the local hospital where two-thirds of them would die in the first year. And he described children as an inconvenience. This is the philosophy our culture believes is best to guide our education. He advocated transferring the responsibility of raising children to the state because he didn't want to raise them himself. In addition, the state was to possess all men and all their powers. And so we can trace the totalitarianisms of the 20th century back at, in part to Rousseau's ideas if you have children at school, if you've been through RE in the, the last few years, you will be taught about Rousseau. So communist and fascist totalitarian ideologies have their origin in Rousseau. The axis of Rousseau's ideas was the citizen as child and the state as parent. So if you can get to the children, and educate them in your ideology that you feel will free people from all the trappings and all the negativity of parents and religion, then you will have a utopia. Except it wasn't exactly utopia, was it? In the 20th century with hundreds of millions dead through fascist and communist revolutions. See, is it true to say, if we believe in Rousseau, which I think is not based on knowledge, if we believe that people are basically good, have we seen in history that that belief has led to great evil? What does Jesus teach us about what we're like? See, according to Jesus Christ, we are not basically good. Chapter 7, verse 20 of Mark. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, Foolishness. He said, Jesus, you're laying it on a bit thick, aren't you? That's a bit negative. No, no. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says to each and every one of us this morning, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. If we do anything wrong, it's not because it was just an accident or our upbringing or society. It's because we are enslaved to sin. According to Jesus, it comes from our nature according to Jesus. 
Now, we're looking at the doctrine of original sin and the wonderful good news in comparison to it for two Sundays because I think it's quite difficult for us to get our heads around. It's, it's, it's been a struggle for me over 20 years to really grapple with this doctrine because it does seem so negative. But Paul is wanting the Christians in Rome to have a deep sense of who they are in Christ. And he teaches this. If we were around last week, we would have seen that Christian identity, if you look back at chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, doesn't look within. It looks to God and what he has done for anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ. What has he done? He's justified us, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He's declared us innocent before the judgment seat of God. It means that we can boast or glory or rejoice in being in heavenly glory for certain it means that our sufferings, all our sufferings, if we're Christians, are productive because they make us more like Jesus and connect us to the hope that we have of heavenly glory that is inside us through the Holy Spirit. And we can rejoice in God because he's so good to have saved us and to brought us to peace with him. And we're now under his kindness, his continual, generous, heavenly kindness. That's the anchor and foundation of our identity if we are here this morning as those who've trusted in Jesus Christ. But now Paul shows that because of a Christian's justification, the Reformation and Luther, as we were hearing about earlier on, was big into this. But because we are justified, declared innocent in God's sight, what happens? We are joined to Jesus Christ in a better way than us being joined to Adam. But, but we are joined to Adam. Two points. The first will come up on the slide. All humanity sin and die because we are born in Adam. Be real. All humanity sin and die because we're born in Adam. Now, I know there's lots of objections to this, but I'm going to, I'm going to see what Paul says, and then I'll deal with some of the objections. But we can't hope to do them justice. Look at me with, uh, look with me at chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, in other words, because of justification, verses 1 to 11, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. This is the teaching of original sin. It's the idea that we are born with a sinful nature because we are in Adam. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. See, the Bible is clear that human death is not just biology. It's not just the shortening of our telomeres. It's because of human sin. Which is why we, we, we get angry that, that children die. We, we think that they don't deserve to die, but we know that something has gone wrong. It's not just that we expect competitive forces and the survival of the fittest. No, we see that something has gone desperately wrong with our world, and it's because sin came into the world through Adam and spread to all men from conception onwards. Because Adam sinned, we now have a sinful nature that means we all sin and we all die. 
And this becomes clearer as Paul goes through his argument. Look with me at verse 15. For if many died through the one man's trespass, you and I die today because, yes, we sin. And we sin because we have a sinful nature. And we have a sinful nature because Adam sinned. This is the doctrine of original sin, or verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, one man's trespass, death reigns through that one man. Now, Paul is not saying we're all born good, and it just so happens we all make the free will decision to all sin. That we could all do something else. We could all be perfect and never sin, but we just all happened to sin. He's not saying that. That's not true. Neither is Paul saying it's not possible for us not to sin, but it just so happens that we follow Adam's example. No, he's saying that because of Adam's sin, we inherit a sinful nature, both by organic descent, we might say by genetics, and by the imputation of sin from Adam, our, head, our federal head, for those of you who like theological words. This is so important to grapple with. Because what Paul is teaching here is this is fundamental to Christian identity. If we think that we're not this bad, we're less likely to trust in Jesus Christ to live the Christian life. We're going to think we can just do it ourselves. We can wake up tomorrow morning and think, right, this is going to be a perfect day when it comes to John Parker obeying the law of God. I'm going to be massively disappointed by the end. I'm going to be depressed and down on myself and lashing myself. You know, I could have been perfect today, but it's just, it's just carnage. Our expectation needs to be realistic. If we don't understand ourselves, we won't have the right expectations of ourselves. We won't have the right community in which it's normal to be sinful. When we meet together on a Sunday morning, we don't just say to each other, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah yesterday was a perfect day. and The one before that was perfect as well. And it's just one string of perfection. Oh, the odd blip. No. Now, at this point, it's worth raising some of the objections to this. Hasn't science disproved the existence of Adam and Eve? No. How can we be responsible for something we cannot but do? Don't believe in Lockean ideas of freedom, but we'll come on to that. And isn't this just depressing? First of all, science. Can I encourage us to be critical of the theory of evolution, especially hominid evolution? As you know, I don't mean embracing a young Earth. I mean that the theory of evolution is, is watertight. As Richard Dawkins says, it's about as in much doubt as the Earth going around the sun. No, it's not. Because evolution is a historical theory. Can we do a scientific experiment today to find out what all the couples in human history have been getting up to over the last however many thousand years? C can we do that? No. So can we have a scientific experiment that can show us what happened to Adam and Eve if they existed? No. The only way that we know that Adam and Eve existed is because of the inspired word of God and Adam and Eve being able to be literate and write down what they did, what happened, and transmit that down the ages. 
See, evolutionary biology is not science in the same way as physics. Science cannot disprove the historical existence of Adam and Eve. I remember being taught in my, uh, my degree in evolutionary biology that we were all descended from one human female. Mitochondrial Eve, it's a theory that's still got a lot going for it, as far as I'm aware. So there is some scientific evidence for the existence of Eve, whether she came out of Africa or not is open to debate. But we cannot just dismiss the historicity of Adam and Eve on the basis of science. If we do that, we show that we do not understand science and its limits. Well, how can we be responsible for something we cannot but do? I mean, doesn't original sin just get rid of all responsibility? No. It's not saying that we cannot make responsible decisions, that there is no difference between being someone who feeds the poor or a mass murderer. In fact, it's the Bible's witness that amplifies the significance of our decisions, our responsible decisions. The Ten Commandments are there to show us our responsibility. And you can't get a higher responsibility than being told that if we trust in Jesus Christ and we believe in him, which is a decision we make, we will be saved forever. It has, there is an eternal significance to our responsible choices. What original sin is saying that between pure darkness and pure light, if God is pure light, we never get there. We're all shades of gray, to quote a rather dodgy book. We are all in this shades of gray between darkness and light. None of us are pure light. But that's the standard that God has for those who come into his presence. He cannot accept anybody into heavenly glory who is not perfect. For how would it then remain perfection? So the question is, how are we going to be made perfect? How are we going to be made pure light and shine like the sun in the kingdom of our heavenly Father? Only through one man, Jesus Christ. You see, sin, Paul says, verse 13, was in the world before the law was given, before the Ten Commandments were given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. In other words, we don't know how much we break the law until there is the law. Yet, death Reign from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come, a type of Jesus Christ. Death reigned over humanity, even when we didn't know what we were doing was wrong, because of our sinful nature, which led to death. All humanity sin and die, because we're born in Adam. So be real. Be, be really real. There's a lot about authenticity, isn't in our in our culture? And some of you may be aware of an app that encourages you to be real. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The Be Real app. My daughters are massively into this. It goes something like this. The idea is that as soon as you, you know, you, I've, I've never been on it, so I don't know. You'll have to correct me when I get this wrong. You know, the, the, the time comes and you've got to make, you've got to take a photo of yourself at that, within that minute or time scale. Um, and it's just to be real, you know, rather than showing all these pristine photos on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, whatever. You just take a photo of what's happening right then. 
But it goes something like this. Oh, Dad, be real. We've got a minute. And then sort of make up and hairs, you know. Yeah, and let's just get the breakfast things nice. And Dad, can you just sort of sit and, and then, you know. And that's real. That's supposed to be real. Apparently, you get more photos if you do it within a particular time scale. But it's not really real, is it? I mean, I don't know. Do people just take photos of themselves going to the toilet? Maybe. But what if our hearts could be photographed at that instant in time? Whatever imaginings of our hearts are going on were suddenly photographed and displayed on social media, shared in technicolor. Would we be happy with that? Are we clear that what's going on deep down inside us is good? Of course not. All kinds of dark things go on inside our hearts because that is what we are like. See, when Jesus says that because we sin, we're slaves to sin, when he talk, talks about all this foul, putrid emanation from our hearts, he knows that we have sinful hearts, we have a sinful nature that only he can deal with. We can't just sort of brush ourselves up and you know, rearrange our hair and do the be real thing. When it comes to God's judgment of us, he knows all the secrets of our hearts from the moment of our conception to the moment of our death. And because he can see all that from an infant, internal present, he knows that the only hope for us is him coming himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to deal with that sin problem. But we don't like being told about it, do we? I mean, no one likes going to the doctor, especially if we suspect there is something seriously wrong. There's a natural reticence, isn't there, to be checked out for prostate cancer or breast cancer or, worst of all, having something shoved up one orifice or down the other one. It's really uncomfortable. We, we try and put that off. But if we want to find out what the problem is and get it sorted, we've just got to... We've got to embrace the discomfort, and if we want to get our sin problem sorted out, we've got to see that it's in our nature. It's our sinful, it's what it means to be human. We all have a sinful nature that makes us naturally sinful. Paul has spent three chapters convicting everyone that by trying to be good, we will not make it into heaven. Chapters 1 to 3. The only hope is what Jesus has done on the cross and the righteousness, the pure light that Jesus clothes us in by a free gift. Is that good? It's just a free gift that we can receive. But in order to be motivated for this free gift, we need to understand what the problem is. It goes deeper than cancer. It's in our nature. I mean, do we expect a dog to be able to fly? No. Well, if we ask Cooper, he might have a go. But he's not going to fly because he's a dog. He can only do doggish things. Or a cat. A cat can only do catish things. A pelican, mind you, that can fly because it's in its nature. Our human nature is sinful. In one sense, from God's perspective, it doesn't matter whether we are one shade away from pure darkness or one shade away from pure light. We're not good enough. 
we are sinful. If we think that we can wake up tomorrow morning and not sin at all, not only are we going to be disappointed, we have embraced a very English heresy. It came through a monk called Pelagius in the 4th century who taught we are born good. And so it's possible for some of us to be saved without Jesus Christ. That some people are good enough to do enough good works not only to save themselves, but have a few left over for the church that can then dole them out so that other people can be saved by the works of the saints. Not in the Bible, it's nothing that Jesus taught. It's heresy. Or semi-Pelagianism, which is a kind of 50-50. And uh, what happens is somebody thinks, okay, right, well, I've believed in Jesus, so now I'm clean, and now I just need to keep myself clean. It's a kind of combo. Jesus saves me 50% and I do the rest. But do you know what that means? It means you can boast in heaven because you got there. And some people can boast in heaven without even Jesus needing to save them. It's heresy. But it's not the teaching of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever been caving. I remember going caving when I was um, uh, at school. And, and this particular cave was filthy. I mean, there was mud everywhere. And so you go, and, and you get mud absolutely everywhere. You come out just looking the color of mud. And there's no point in just sort of trying to wipe it off, because everywhere, everywhere is just filthy. No, you have to stand there and let somebody with a power hose just get rid of it all. We are not clean. We need somebody from outside of us to clean us. And his name is Jesus Christ. And what does this mean? It means that we can be really, really, really real with each other in the church. You know, our sinful patterns will be affected by our upbringing, just as our parents were affected by theirs, and their parents by theirs, and so on, so on, so on, all the way back to Adam and Eve. But churches are to be places, if they believe the gospel, we can be deeply authentic, more authentic than anybody else in the world, because we can admit that we have a sinful nature. We don't have to pretend anymore. We can be really, really real. We can say, yeah, I, I battle with this. I struggle with this. Now, it may be because of my past. That doesn't excuse me, but it... It means that I can be really real about struggles. And we're going to, as we go through this series, we're going to be thinking about all the different struggles that Christians may have. Anxiety, depression, chronic illness, pornography, promiscuity, whatever it might be. These are the battles that human nature has. And we can be really real about it. Because do you know what? We're not accepted by one another on the basis of how good we are. We're accepted with one another on the basis of how God has accepted us, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter whether we are a few shades away from pure light or a few shades away from pure darkness. We're all in the same boat. We're not good enough for God, and the only way that we are made good enough for God is through his Son, Jesus Christ which is the second and shorter point, not because it's not wonderfully important, but because 
we need to see what we're suffering from in order to see what the solution is. I mean, we wouldn't go to the doctor and they say, yeah, you've got third stage cancer, whatever it is. And you say, oh, right, fine. So I'll just go and, uh, an aspirin will be fine, won't it? I'll just go back and, and take some aspirin. That, that'll be fine. Thank you, doctor. No. And we're not to say, well, I, I'm sinful, but, you know, I'll just do a few more good works. I'll, I'll just be a better person. I'll turn over a new leaf. It's not going to work. Many of the religions of the world are, are, have this basis. They do not teach that we are original sinners, that we are sinners by nature. And therefore, the only person who can deal with us is Jesus. See, all Christians have received the more abundant gift of righteousness and life in Christ. So we rule. Now, I know I'm taking quite a while on this. But sometimes it's really important that we grapple with areas of the Bible that are not familiar to us culturally so that we can be united as a church and equipped to go out with the gospel, which is why Paul is writing this letter. We'll see more of that next week. But all Christians have received the more abundant gift of righteousness and life in Christ. We rule. I'll go quite quickly. Verse 15. Look at it with me. But the free gift, that's becoming a Christian, is not like the trespass. In other words, what God has done in Christ is not like the trespass of Adam. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The grace of Christ is more powerful than Adam's sin. Paul is saying, yes, we sin because Adam sinned. God's justice is worked out. We sin, we die. But how much more does God's grace abound for many people through the one man, Jesus Christ? Verse 16, the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. God has dealt with all our sins and all the sins of the world through the one life of Jesus Christ, which has justified anybody who trusts in him, made us innocent and righteous in his sight. Verse 17, For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We'll see more about this next week. But as Christopher Ashe observes in his commentary, we expect Paul to say, death reigned through that one man, much more will life reign through Jesus. That's what we expect it to say. But instead, he says much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Who reigns? We reign. If we're Christians here this morning. We reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Well, how? How? How can we possibly reign? How can the free grace of God experiencing Christ Enable us to reign. Well, we've been transformed. So onto the transferred, onto the diagram. I think there's a diagram that might, might work. Yeah, here we go. So those who are in Adam face sin, death, and condemnation. That's all of us, each and every one of us. But by faith in Jesus Christ, we are given a new nature. And from that nature, we begin to live. And that new nature is the secret, if you like, of living the Christian life. It's because we're united with Christ that we can now have victory. We can reign over those sins that we suffer from, the death that is coming our way, and the condemnation, the judgment of God. 
that will come our way unless we trust in Jesus Christ. So those who are in Christ have grace, God's favor, just undeserved, unlimited, ongoing generosity. Later on in Romans, Paul says that we inherit what Jesus inherits, which is everything. If we're Christians here this morning, it means that we're given a new life that lasts forever. It means that we will face God on Judgment Day and he will see us as Jesus Christ and say, welcome into the kingdom. My Father has prepared for you since before the foundation of the world. So be real and we rule. Which means that when we share our struggles, as I close, we're not to wallow in our sin and say, do you struggle with that? Yeah, I struggle with that. It's awful, isn't it? Yeah. Well, there's not much we can do then, is there? Bye. No, it's we share our struggles so we can grow in the rule over them that Jesus has already given us. We are united to Christ. We're not victims. We're not defined by our victimhood. We can be real about our sin. And we can rule in the way that Christ has given us his rule. There might be some aspects of this sermon that are new to you or that you need to grapple with. I know I've gone on a little longer than normal, but this is part of the wealth and the depth of a Christian identity. If we're Christians here this morning, we need to grapple with this so that we can live a free life under the rule of Christ by union with him. If we're not Christians here this morning, can you see that the only way that you can be right with God, come to know him, is through Jesus Christ. There's no other religion, there's no other philosophy that suggests that Jesus Christ is the only way. That it's only by faith in him that we can have this original nature supplanted and overruled by a new nature that comes by being born again, by being born from above, by being united to Jesus Christ. So can I encourage you to grapple with this? Um, there's a book uh, that might help you do that. Do take one of these. Um, are you 100% sure you want to be agnostic about Jesus Christ, that is? But let's just pray as I close. Let's pray. Father, these are deep and difficult things, and the only hope for us to understand them is by your Holy Spirit coming now and giving us a new nature because of Jesus Christ and what he's done. So, Lord, I pray for those who are yet to receive this new nature. Lord, would you show them who Jesus Christ is? And would they see your glory, Father, in his face? Would they be made new creations because of his blood? Would they be innocent in your sight, Father, because of what Jesus has done? And for those of us who are Christians, help us to stop thinking that we can do it without Jesus. Amen.